how are you building a, a good program to retain your key employees and motivate your key employees? How are you doing things like career pathing for people, right? Things that you that are that are really product and industry agnostic in a lot of ways that a lot of that a lot of folks don't want to focus on. That's really what you know. What I've brought to the table is the, these are these are critical components of really enabling your stars of the show, which I view as marketing, product, and sales. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, so that was super interesting. You're going to love this episode. Tim Perillo, the chief legal officer for Link Squares. This guy is more biz than most business people that I've ever interviewed. Massively refreshing that he's a, a lawyer, but he's not really a lawyer guy at all. Um, pretty cool. As the chief legal officer in the second command for Link Squares, he oversees operations, people, IT, and legal. Helped take one company public, DraftKings, at a $1.6 billion valuation just before this. Loves how controversy builds teams, and he's going to talk about that. He's also going to talk about how Link Squares has actually raised $140 million in the last 18 months, $40 million just as he was coming on as chief legal officer, and then $100 million just 12 months later. He's also going to share thoughts on how companies should be giving out titles and compensation directly. Super intriguing, great episode. You're going to love this one. Hey, Tim, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Hey, Cameron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Looking forward to um, to learning a bit uh, about your, your career and kind of what got you into this role. And, and sometimes I don't even go into the whole, like, what is the company? But I think it makes sense to start there for you to tell us a little bit of what Link Squares is. And then I'm going to kind of backtrack into how you got into um, the role that you're in, because you're in a really unique role as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Link Squares is a contract management uh software company so we develop uh develop software for in-house legal teams that helps to uh streamline the contracting process and uh at the same time provide uh provide quantitative data around the work that the legal team is performing um and 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 we really try to uh focus on on easy to use software that is custom tailored for the the in-house legal team so a lot of competitors um, and a lot of a lot of different folks in the legal tech space are targeting sort of, uh, you know, targeting with products that are maybe not built as as uniquely with the in-house team in mind. So, um, you know, it's it's a great company, really enjoying the growth that we've seen. You know, I joined in March of 2021. And uh, in that time, we've uh, increased our staff from about 70 to almost 400 today. And you know, our revenue has more than tripled uh, in that time frame as well, which has just been absolutely incredible growth. Uh, we're seeing, you know, massive, uh, massive market share gains on our side as well. Uh, so it's just been it's been really, really neat to see the organization grow. And it's provided me an opportunity to uh, 
to be more than just a lawyer, uh, which is really something that I've always wanted for uh, for my career. Uh, you know, prior to joining here, I was the general counsel at DraftKings, and uh, I started at DraftKings. There were about twenty people working there, and um, and I left about a year after the SPAC transaction that took the company public oversaw the legal the growth of the legal team and the government affairs function as well yeah that's really rapid growth to go from 70 to 418 months so um how do you guys think you do why do you think that happened and and can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe some of the the stumbling blocks along that 18 months because people will think that growth is easy but growth is really difficult when it's that fast yeah, growth is really difficult at, at that pace. I think, um, you know, for, for me, having the experience that I did at DraftKings and seeing, you know, seeing that growth from 20 to, you know, about about 2,500, I think, when I, when I left uh, post-transaction was something that helped me to to build a roadmap. And so when, when I joined, um, you know, we were in the process of raising the series, uh, the series B financing, which we closed in June of 2021. Uh, we raised 40 million and then um, we were really at an inflection point though. We saw the velocity of our, uh, of our product adoption uh, really starting to increase. And we said, let's, let's invest strategically into, into building and scaling the business. You know, if we can, if we can increase, uh, increase the, the timeline on our product development, um, and we can increase the uh, the horsepower behind our you know our go to market motion. Then we can capture more market share faster and really try to try to put the company on a trajectory for for very high rapid growth while also maintaining like the the various uh, efficiency metrics that that we use to to judge the quality of our business. Right, it's not just ARR at all costs. We're also looking at making sure our our retention numbers are where they need to be. We make sure that we're we're doing doing the right things in terms of customer satisfaction. Um, you know, even like CAC payback periods. They, there are a handful of different and gross margins are outstanding. Right, a lot of people you can you can buy a lot of a lot of ARR, but if your other metrics aren't aren't where they need to be, then it's just kind of phantom, right? Uh, but we've been able to maintain those metrics. And, you know, and ultimately we raised a hundred million in our series C in March of 2022, uh, which wow. is great. So, um, you know, just seeing seeing massive, massive growth uh, and and our, our go-to-market motion works. People want our product, which is great. A, part, a big part of that though, going from seven to 400 really is, um, understanding how to structure team and understanding uh, how to turn your idea and your product money, right? Uh, you got series A is really just proving your idea, like a proof concept. Series B is making sure there's a product market fit. Series C is turning that into a business, right? Series D and beyond is, is scale. Yeah. And so when you think about how you turn this product, this good idea and the, with, with a good market, uh, into a business, it's when you start to think about like, okay, what's the what's the less sexy stuff? Like, how are we making sure that we are are scaling our IT team ap appropriately to make sure that everybody has internet who's in the office, make sure that everybody who's remote has the tools that they need to do the job, right? And you think about the people function, right? With that level of rapid growth, you got to make sure that number one, we're hiring the right quality of people. Number two, we're retaining the people um, that that we that we have, right? I mean, over the last 18 months, our, 
our company has grown, you know, has grown, you know, what five X. Yeah. And so, so like now we're at a, we're at a point where a lot of people who, who have been hired are passing their one year mark. And so that's usually when you start to see attrition. So the focus now is on, on employee retention as well. And so like, how do you, how are you building a, a good, program to retain your key employees and motivate your key employees how are you doing things like career pathing for people right things that you that are that are really product and industry agnostic in a lot of ways that a lot of that a lot of folks don't want to focus on that's really what you know what i've brought to the table is these are these are critical components of really enabling your stars of the show which i view as marketing product and sales right those are really your stars but you need you need people in the background to to support them and um and so really driving um driving a lot of a lot of that structured growth um is is something that i've been passionate about and really wanted an opportunity to be accountable for uh and and vishal our ceo gave me that opportunity here so it's been it's been really incredible i've also uh you know also thinking about how are you being um how are you using data not only in making your product decisions and you you know adjusting your go to market motion evaluating you know customer success and things like that but how are you using data to help um to help other parts of your organization to grow and scale right so i set up a, a data analytics team and there there are different metrics like our people team uses a lot of different metrics as far as this is this is how we need to grow this is you know an efficient way for people to manage in this type of an industry right how many people is too many people how many layers of management or too many layers of management given our size right and really seeing as we as we as we go through as we go through building and structuring the organization, how, you know, we can track the performance of our, of our team versus the performance of, of, you know, the financial performance of our company and seeing correlations. Very cool. It's fun. You're, you're, you're touching on, it's, it's weird. You're touching on the answers to the questions I haven't asked yet, which is intriguing because you, you kind of started off really understanding like the value of the client and the CAC and the return off that and how, and, but then you quickly switched into the measuring of everything around the people side of things and the labor efficiencies and not getting too wasteful. And that was what I was going to ask was, how does a company that's raising effectively $140 million in a year, which massively changes the culture of the company and gives you the, the ability to go out and I used to, you know, there used to be something 20 years ago called predatory pricing. Now I think it's predatory hiring where companies that can raise money, literally, right? You can go out and just buy up the talent, which is a, a huge strategic advantage. Um, you know, versus the the average company that wants to compete for the talent, they can't. You, you, so, how? But how do you prevent, or how do you, um, yeah, pr- prevent waste, or or be careful that you're not wasting money, like throwing money out the out the window, and then going, oh shit, we overspent on you know twelve people, or we hired too many where we could have. How do you measure that? How do you think about that? So we're as an executive team, we're really deliberate about how about how we hire right it's not like oh i need 10 developers it's well why do you need 10 where did you come up with 10 what are what are the metrics that you're using to actually back into that i think about you know for example our operations team like our contract operations team there's a certain number of 
customers that those people can onboard in any given time period, right? And if we're looking at adding more cost, it's just a mathematical formula and we review it over time, right? It's not like, oh, in the next year, I know we're going to have X number of customers. So let's hire this many people right now, right? right? Let's, let's go, let's, let's hire, see if it starts to shake, right? Or, or it really starts to bend, not quite break, but get really close to breaking. And then let's add one more unit. And that'll be the way that we test the metrics we're using to drive our headcount decisions. And so we, we're really doing that over the entire organization. Obviously, if you look at the revenue team, it's a little bit different. Um, they're not using the number of customers. They're using, you know, what what must uh, your your per rep productivity look like, right? Um, and and if we're expecting to be at a certain level and we're anticipating the per rep productivity to be at a certain level, it's just a, it's a mathematical equation. So with every hire, we've sort of done that but we also take time to say like, all right, let's let's sort of step function up and grow into it, step function up and grow into it. So that's that's the way that we've done it. And, you know, I don't I don't want to I don't want to act like everything has been, you know, has been perfect and we've nailed that exactly. But the point is that we've been deliberate about what we're doing. And then we take the time to say, was that actually done correctly and appropriately or were we looking at the right metric even? How do you how do you manage the employee net promoter score, like your employee ha happiness versus you know the, the need to grow and optimize and and be efficient? Like you know, in terms of the the revenue per employee, margin per employee, you know your your labor rate ratios. How do you how do you keep them happy but also keep them busy? You know, like so. Uh, I mean, that's that's a great question. I think there's there's no one answer to that. I, I mean. If you look at the you look at the sales function, you know which which has really been um, a major major strength of of ours. Um, obviously, our 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 product is far superior to anything else that's out there on the market, and our marketing team is second to none, and that really helps with the top of funnel and customer satisfaction. But you know, really having having a dedicated team of of sales professionals has been outstanding. And then you look at that team, and the, and they're really very highly motivated people who want to work hard. They're super competitive and, um, and you carry your quota or you, or you, you get carried out the door um, on that team. So there, there, and there's a culture, there's a culture to that. Right. And that culture is definitely not for everybody. Um, you know, similar to how a startup is not like we were talking just before this, like, yeah, like maybe there are certain people who are really good at the, you know, zero to 50 million revenue range. And then that's a very different company than 50 million to 100 million. And I know there are plenty of people that are great startup people that are not great big company people. There are great big company people that are not startup people. So it absolutely is, is a startup culture. Uh, you know, I think looking at, um, looking at, uh, the sort of the rest of the organization. I don't want to say that it's any different because I think everybody here is really competitive and really wants to work hard, right? There's, there's, there's a sense of satisfaction that people get, like, that's not just come in 40 hours and get a paycheck, right? People are here because they want to be here and you see it because we don't, we don't mandate return to office for most orgs, right? We say, 
hey, we'd like it if you come in, but if you don't, like, that's okay. Our office is full, right? Oh. We bought, we have three more floors that we're developing right now. People want to be here. People want the energy. They see it. They're excited. It's a lot of fun. And so that that's a personality type that we actually try to bring into the organization. And, and as, as cheesy as it may sound, like we, you know, we, we have one of our values being you're all in. Another one is team first. If you're not all in and if you're not team first, you're not here. And you're uh, sure you're sure not getting hired. And as soon as we see people who are not like we create a culture of accountability too, where it's like if you see someone who's not being team first or see someone who's not all not all in, yeah, have a conversation with them. Like that's not a like I've been in meetings where where you know director level people have, have looked across the table and been like, that is the least team first thing that you could possibly say. To a VP or just to, to someone above them even. Yeah. Right. You yeah. are. Did you? Were you kicked out of law school because you were too business guy? Like you're, you're like the least legal legal guy I've ever spoken to. It's incredible. You, <laughs> it's like you're giving me hope for lawyers again. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's uh, no. I think it's a it's a product of um, you know being fortunate enough to having uh, never worked in a law firm. Oh, nice. And, my uh uh and also never uh never really reported to another attorney uh throughout my entire career i i right out of law school i was a i ended up you know falling into through a stroke of luck and, and incredible generosity uh into a, into a job um at an organization uh that didn't have an in-house attorney um, and the CFO who became the CEO really took me under his wing and, and helped me to understand the business, mm. uh, the business side of it. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, I went to law school and, you know, learned a lot from a legal perspective. And I've worked with a ton of really outstanding lawyers out there. Uh, and I, you know, I've learned a lot from a lot of really, really great mentors, et cetera. But, you know, my, my career trajectory and, and, and growth as a professional has, you know, I, the muscle that I've really tried to work on is that business side, even coming out of DraftKings and coming to LinkSquares, like I didn't come to LinkSquares to do the legal work, right? Cause it's not like the legal work at DraftKings is about as exciting as it gets, huh. right? I mean, we, we changed the law in, you know, I think 19 different states now from a fantasy sports perspective, right? We like, like we changed, we built in a regulatory framework around an industry, right? And, and we were proven right in every single circumstance that our initial going in, you know, legal position was the right legal position. It's been affirmed by courts, right? It's been affirmed by legislatures. There's nothing more exciting than That's that. Cool. And to see the Supreme Court overturn PASPA during that time and see states adopting sports betting, really exciting legal work, really, really fun. I didn't come here to review SAS contracts. Right, right. But <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because I, I, I almost I think there's a really huge opportunity for more people in the legal profession to go into business, just like so many from engineering have gone into business. Like with a lot of the engineering space have gone in, but I haven't seen as many from the legal side move into the C-suite as real operational people, like not not chief legal counsels. I have a friend who's the chief legal counsel for Panda, and I have a close friend who is our chief legal counsel. But 
there's something about the fact that you know you oversee legal, but you also oversee operations, IT, and the whole people side of the business, which is highly unusual. Yeah, yeah, and that that was you know that was one of the things that I that I talked to Vishal about. I said you know one of my favorite my favorite times at DraftKings were really those early days when we were going from 20, 30, 40 people to five hundred, right, and and working closely with the management team there to you know at we uh, we built out a fraud control department. We built out a compliance team, right, from nothing, which was which was great. And seeing like, okay, this is how the, and this is how the product team is scaling. This is how the analytics team is scaling. All of that, like, very very good. That that was what got me out of bed on a day in a day out basis, and really got me excited at DraftKings during that time period. Is just like, this is so cool, and um, and so being able to go and and do that again was something that Vishal and I talked about. He's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you, you manage all of the GNA side of the business, you know, with the exception of finance, we got a great CFO. Our CFO is awesome. And he's managing that, you know, really, really well. There's zero value that I'll add, you know, if, if I were controlling that function too, uh, let, let him deal with that. Um, but the, the rest of the business is, you know, is, is, is really where my passion lies, being able to grow and scale that and being able to, like I said, provide the tools to, you know, the marketing team, the product team and, uh, and the, the sales and success team, uh, that they need to go and, and dominate the market. Awesome. Okay. So I've got a question related to the, the kind of culture side of things as well. And it's, what was it like for you coming into the organization when there were already 70 people there? And how do you come in in a senior role over, over top of a bunch of new people who no longer get to report to the CEO or they know, you know, how did you, how did you make that move without upsetting the apple cart? So uh, it was, it was actually really, really easy. Um, so I, you know, I came in and, and really just sort of oversaw the legal function Um the HR functions that were being done were effectively being done by our director of accounting um, using, you know, using uh, gusto, right? Uh, all the onboarding paperwork and you click through here, you know, put in your papers and and that's your HR team. Yeah. Uh, there really wasn't, there wasn't anything, anything else uh, there from an operations perspective, um, uh, so, so I, I hired our, our VP of HR. Um, I hired our, uh, our, our, our senior director of IT. So these, a lot of these functions weren't in place, uh, when I joined and the, the people who were, who were performing these functions in most cases were very happy to get rid of them. Yeah. Right? And like, they, they must've known that they wanted someone else to report into as well then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, like our CTO went from like, you know, answering security questionnaires uh, and like issuing laptops to new employees to, you know, now living in the future and focusing on on new products and, and you know, really on the R&D side of the house so that he, I mean, it's a waste of his time to sit there and, and figure out how, many, how to manage help desk tickets. You know yeah. what I mean? And so um, it, it, this was a big part of a big part of our growth, particularly through through 2021. You was said something before, up. sorry, before we were we kind of went live. You mentioned something about you you kind of like controversy as a 
maybe you don't go out and seek it, but you're okay with controversy in, in organizations because it, it builds team or builds that the, like, is that kind of how you said it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, controversy. So I think most lawyers are, are comfortable with controversy mm. and conflict, right? And, and if they're not, they should be. Uh, it's what we do. Um, and so, you know, I, I view conflict as just a way to get to it to get to a resolution that needs to happen. Right. And, and typically the stronger the controversy or the larger the controversy, the more effort it takes to get through it. And that's when, that's when you really see like dependency on your team and who really is team first and who really is all in who's committed. You, you know, you look at, you look at the controversy that, um, that DraftKings went through and, you know, I'm, I'm, very happy to call, you know, Matt, Paul and Jason, the founders, and as well as the rest of the executive team there. Um, it was with us during that time, close friends. We still, you know, we still are are in touch today. And it was those times that really brought us all together because, it, you know, yeah, it's a job, right? It's a job. But when when you're operating at this level, it's not just a job. Right. Like you, you do this because you care about it, not because yeah. you're and you when you're doing doing something that you care about with people who are similarly minded in terms of goal, like the goal orientation and um, and methods to get there. Um, and and you really work hard toward toward a successful outcome. It builds that camaraderie. Right. And you're doing it as much for the person for the person next to you as you are for, you know, the good of the business. And so the controversy, though, really tests those 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 um, relationships. Right. And it can deepen those relationships. Right. It's it's kind of like uh, the old adage. Right. Like like you should never marry a person with whom you haven't had an argument. Right. <laughs> um, the arguments bring you closer. Right. Mm. And they teach you a lot about a lot about the character of the people who, who are working beside you. And so, um, yeah, I, I, for one, welcome controversy, welcome challenges. And, you know, I mean, you look at you look at where we are from uh, and a lot of companies in a lot of different industries are dealing with controversy right now as a result of the macroeconomic situation. Oh, and here's sure. where those the teams that are that are going to come out on top when our when I, when the macro situation starts to correct itself are going to be the people who really, who really dealt with that controversy as a team and as a unit, and you know, put, put the, the team first and the business first. Um, what is your approach right now? I mean, you're, you're, you're fortunate in that you've raised 140 million, you know, in the, just prior to really the markets going for the shit. Um, what, what is your position related to the, the economy right now in terms of what are you telling the employees? How are you guiding the, the company through this? Are there any thoughts around that? Yeah. So, you know, I, there, there are a couple of aspects. Uh, like obviously having, you know, having cash is, is great and having, um, you know, having enough runway uh, for, you know, that, that we feel comfortable, you know, obviously no one has a crystal ball, but we've got, we've got enough runway where we're comfortable that, um, the macroeconomic situation will be at least on the upswing, if not turned around in a meaningful way by the time we need to, you know, go and raise money. And, 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 you know, there's an aspect of, of step functioning growth as well, 
right now there's you know there's probably a pretty decent argument that given the size of our staff uh maybe we're a little bit bigger than than we should be but i can i can guarantee you that by the end of q1 maybe even the middle of q2 we're going to be on the other side of that curve right yeah as i as i said before like you hire see when it's going to break hire a little more see when it's going to break right and um and so that's that's sort of the way that that we're approaching it. But we're also very, very regularly being data driven and metrics driven, right? With you know, with our with our our revenue, we're looking at all right, how are we tracking for year end? All right, great. Are are we meeting our goals? Yes or no? Okay, if we if we are, what you know, by how much, and what does that do for? Q1 and Q2 and Q3 and Q4 for 2023. And, you know, does it make sense for us to invest a little bit more in certain parts of the business because we're ahead of goals or, you know, let's say we're missing the goals. All right, well, what are we going to do? Our runway is something that we've, we've tied our ourselves to, right. And we'll modify our business to fit that runway. Um, it just, it's a decision that we've made to try to combat this sort of macroeconomic turmoil that we're dealing with right now. Um, our employees are aware, obviously, of, of everybody's aware of what's going on in the in the macro environment. And we have we have employees who, you know, who have expressed concern like, oh, you know, how are how are we thinking about this? Is this going to impact us? You know, Wayfair and and a bunch of others doing massive, massive lay Amazon, massive layoffs. Right. Um, it's, it's a natural question for people to ask. And, and for us, uh, okay. we've, we haven't over, we haven't overhired given our revenue. And so, you know, uh, short of, you know, something extremely negative happening to our revenue, you know, we, we feel very confident that, the way that we've structured and are running our business is something that's going to provide job security for our employees and the opportunity to, you know, to, to even, you know, make more money and get a higher equity stake and, um, you know, and really just continue to build the business and grow a good fundamental business. There's been a lot of discussion recently, and we just had a, a group discussion with our COO Alliance members the other day around compensation and um, where we are right now vis-a-vis -vis inflation and you know the needs of employees to keep up what are your thoughts around that in terms of of compensation are we are we having to raise employee comp are we in a, are we trying to should we be trying to teach employees to start living within their means and stop buying so many big screen TVs are we somewhere in the middle or what's what's going on so uh, that's that's a great question I think there's what we're seeing is that um, at least over the last year and a half, uh, it's very much been a, been a, been a candidate's market, um, you know, start to question with these layoffs, whether it's still a candidate's market, but um, you know, our perspective is pay employees fairly and they're going to work well for you. Um, you know, and, and, and build into your build into your hiring plans the aspect of retention and also planned attrition, right? And what I mean by planned attrition is understanding that there's just going to be some frictional, you know, some frictional moves. People are going to say, maybe the company is no longer a startup enough for me. And I'm, I'm really the person, you know, from zero to a hundred people. And I tried to make this work. I'm going to go elsewhere. Right. 
um, you know, people, people who maybe come in and say, Hey, I really like this. Uh, I really like this idea of a startup, but working in it is very different. Mm-hmm. I'm actually more company person. I'm going to go and do that. So, so you have this like percentage that you just kind of factor in and then you have the retention aspect and that all goes into your hiring plan as well. Right. Like how many heads should we be hiring for? Well, there's backfills that we're going to need to deal with. So let's think about that. And there's, you know, there's the budgetary constraints, but there there's also retention and raises for people who we really want to keep around and make sure are, are, are going to be in it for the long haul. You just got to plan it. Um, and so, you know, from my perspective, I think, I think that companies that are, that are in a position where they're not giving raises and just telling people to sit and be happy with what you have are going to, are going to find themselves in a situation where their staff will leave. Yeah. What about, um, titles? It's something that uh, is, is pretty unique in terms of when you're with a small or mid-sized company titles don't have as much structure as they do when the company is more established. So how do you decide what titles to give out and, you know, what criteria to place around titles? So I look at, uh, I look at titles and I try to align titles as much as possible with, uh, with career pathing templates, right? So, you know, you're looking at, you know, individual contributor, manager, senior manager, director, senior director, VP, SVP, C, right. And, and, more like for example within the within the legal function here i'm the chief legal officer i don't like like we don't have a general counsel title here and i that's very specific on on my part because i want everybody to recognize that jonathan our vp of of legal is a vp level contributor right and that is because you get some of these you know you get some of these different um some of these different roles and titles and people are like all right so what level like what what level are you right yeah. and when you start thinking about how are you evaluating someone's performance like i expect something different from a vp versus a director versus a manager yeah that's right? where i'm going with this so how do you, how do you place those titles is it based on roles and responsibilities is it what's it based on so uh i i define the seat first and here's where a lot of startups go wrong Right. Um, and eventually have to do something that is really uncomfortable, which is basically retitling people. Right. Yep. Like, I get it. You used to be the chief marketing officer, but like you're really operating at like a director level. Yeah. There were 14 of you back then. Yeah, exactly. And like you and your college roommate decided you'd be the CMO. Right. And um, and now now you have a business on your hands. Um which which is great, awesome opportunity to learn. That's the joy of startups, the wonder of startups, right? But um, but I, I go by defining the seat, right? And and what what that really means. And so when you think about when you think about a level of expertise in your particular discipline, that's only a part of the puzzle. I think the leveling the leveling actually shows what strategically are you doing within the organization and what is the organization expecting from you at a strategic level at an execution level right how are you working cross-functionally like there are absolutely there are absolutely roles within an organization that like shouldn't be c-level roles Mm. like there there just are right it's it is what it is like you know it's like and i don't want to 
pull any one particular title out of it, but there there are some roles that are just not C level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because because you're not you're not contributing cross functionally. You're not contribute. You're not um, you're not driving strategy. You're not originating strategy that you have to drive across multiple functions. Like it, it's just not within your discipline to be a C level executive or a VP level or whatever it may be. And so if you really define like this is what it means to be a VP at this organization, right? You're setting your strategy, you're working autonomously, you're executing on your own, you're holding others accountable. You have your sphere of influence across your peer group, um, like those types of things, like that's in the that's job. Description. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. It, and, and it's like, if you're not doing those things, then you're the wrong person in that seat. That's yeah. it, right? It's it's a shame that so many companies miss that, but I guess that's just part of the natural evolution of a company growing as well. Is they you make the mistakes and you learn, or or you listen to some of the experts because it's. I had to help a company. I, I helped coach them from forty people up to seven hundred, and then we had to retitle them at seven hundred because they weren't listening at forty, and they had a whole wow. bunch of people that were VPs, senior VPs. I'm like, they're not, they're not VPs, like. You don't pay a VP 120 grand. That's not a VP. It's a director. Like, but whatever. <laughs> they, they they went through the pain. Um, yeah. I want to talk about about the 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 fact that you took that one company public as well, and and um, you know via the SPAC. What was that like? Any lessons in doing that? Was there anything that you guys learned through the school of hard knocks or through some of your successes? Uh that's a that's a great question. Um. I obviously I, I learned a, I learned a ton through that process. Um, you know, worked worked with really really outstanding uh, external advisors, uh, both on the uh, finance accounting side and on the uh, and on the legal side. Um, you know, ton of work, but at at its most fundamental level, um, what what I learned is that your your chief executive and your true business leadership are really just the secret to it all, right? They're, they're, and maybe that's not the case in every company. And maybe that's just a unique thing for DraftKings. But, you know, between Jason, Matt, and Paul, like the way that they drove the resolution was just incredible, just absolutely incredible, relentless. Um, and I mean, seeing, uh, seeing Jason's strategic vision throughout that, because I, mean, listen, that was not a short process, no. right? You don't, you don't SPAC in like 60 days, right? Especially, you know, we, we also, as, as a part of this acquired SB tech, right. And then that combined company, which, which had a thousand, a thousand plus employees at the time, sure. like, yeah and like in and then you you have a gaming transaction like like it's a com it's a complex world that you had to navigate and seeing you know seeing jason in particular really being able to go through and understand everything from the legal implications to the finance side to the quite frankly this the sales and marketing side to get investors ready for for this combined company to be a successful public entity that was huge and so when i think about what those learnings really were is that something that i think a lot of a lot of lawyers generally should understand is that you really are nothing more than an input right at at a at a fundamental level you're an input you're basically a subject of the business Mm. and 
you you have to get comfortable like there was no legal wagging the dog on the SPAC transaction right wow. the transaction just took a particular form it wasn't like lawyers being like this is how it goes it was all right jason recognizes this is the lowest cost of capital and this is the most efficient way for this company to go to the next level and this is what what business metrics are driving you know are driving that decision lawyers get on board with it and figure out a way to get it done right yeah. and grant like it's it's not that it's not that cut and dry right it's not like jason was like go screw like he's not that kind of person sure but but as you know as a professional as an as an executive like you need that kind of leadership and you need that laser focus and determination on like why are you doing this and making sure that every decision you make leading up to that, whether that's an IPO or a SPAC or, or whatever it may, whatever that exit may look like, you're doing it for the right reasons. You don't go public because you want liquidity. You do it because it's the cheapest cost of capital. It happens that you get some liquidity for your shareholders too. That's great, but that's not a reason to go public, right? You go no, public because you're a fundamental business and you, and you, you know that this is the cheapest cost of capital for you, not only right now, but on an ongoing basis. That's right? an so, interesting insights for sure. I, I want to go back to the 21 or 22 year old, Tim. Okay. What <laughs> advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known when you were 21? Oh gosh. Just starting out that's, in your career. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, uh, well, at twenty at twenty one or twenty two, I probably would have said, "Don't go to law school." Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm 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 kidding. I've yeah. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed that. Um, I I would say I would say just just be be confident that you can handle what's going to you're you're going to be able to figure it out, right? You may not have all the answers right away, and and nothing is going to go according to plan, um, but be able to be, be adaptable. Um, and, and just have faith that like, if you work hard and you maintain your integrity throughout, you know, throughout your development and particularly your, your professional, your early professional development years, you think about maintaining integrity. You think about a good, strong work ethic. You think about building relationships and the importance of relationships in, in your career then anything that you're going to face, you're going to be able to come out at least on a, on a pretty good result, if not a great or excellent result. Well, Tim Perillo, the chief legal officer for Link Squares. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the second grand podcast. Cameron, thanks so much. Really appreciate the time. And uh, it was great, great chatting with you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. You've been listening to second in command brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.